0: Welcome to The Crystal Payne Show, where we help
1: you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. I am super excited to be joined in studio by Kristen Marr today, and we are going to talk about a subject that I am very passionate about, and that is the topic of shame. Now, before you think, whoa, hold up, this is going to be a really difficult, in-depth, intense discussion, and we might go to some really hard places, but Kristen has a brand new children's book that is all about shame, and it really brings shame to light in a way that I've never seen it described before, and I think it is so powerful for our kids to start understanding the impact of shame from a really young age. And so we're going to talk about that a little later in the show, but before we dive into that topic and into our regular segments, I'd love for Kristen for you to just introduce yourself.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Kristen. I am married to Matt Marr. Some of you may know who that is. He's a Christian musician. And if you're into that kind of thing, I would recommend looking him up. He's awesome. I'm a mother of three. I have a new eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a very, 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 very much (laughs) three-year-old. And I just wrote a kid's book about shame. And
1: so you are in that season of life that is very full and it feels like probably you need 3 of you. <laughs> yes. That would be nice. <laughs> My kids are 14, 12, and 10 and I can tell you that it is it just it get, just gets better and better. I can't wait. It, it is it's like I look back on those early years and there were such hard things but so many beautiful wonderful things. So you're in that it's just a really great season but it just continues to get better. So we're going to start off with Talking about our books that we've been yeah. reading. And so I'd love for you to share about a book that you've read recently.
2: Well, I'm a huge YA reader. I should let everyone know that I don't delve too serious in my books normally. I like to, that's my escape. And so I just finished a series called Caraval, and the last book was Legacy.
1: Okay. And can you give us a little bit about
2: what it's it about? It follows two sisters and um, their journey. It's very, they go to this, there's magic. There's Daring, there's Adventure, and it's basically these two sisters who have such an unbreakable bond that they rescue their whole world together because of their love for each other.
1: And are there just three books in the series, or are there that's more? What I,
2: that's all there is right now.
1: Okay. But are more coming, or you don't know? I don't think so. I think okay. that finished that series. Okay.
2: And so, typically, you only read YA, or... I mean, I kind of bounce around. I find... A lot of YA now, I'm like, are we sure this is young adult? Because it feels (laughs) a lot older, but okay. I do read Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to, doing one or two like serious books, but Mm -hmm. because life is so crazy right now, I like to really escape when I can.
1: (laughs) And the thing I found with YA is it seems the books are easier to get through. Like they're, I can get through them in a day or a few days versus, you know, with another kind of fiction book, it might take me, it's a little
2: bit more of a commitment. (laughs) Right. And if it's a really good story, I need something I can get through quickly because I can't afford to stay up till midnight for three weeks (laughs) because 6 a.m. comes really fast. Yes.
1: Well, my book is very different, not YA. It is a nonfiction book, um, which I love to read both fiction and nonfiction, but I read a lot of nonfiction. And it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I actually had seen this Lots of different places. And it just happened to pop up that I saw it was available in the Libby app, which is a free app from the library that you can get um, free audiobooks. So I'm listening to it. And the subtitle for it is an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. And, I am kind of one of these people who I read a lot of time management types of books, and so there's not a lot of new things in many of these books. But this book, as soon as I got through the first chapter on audio, I was like, I got to have this guy on my podcast. This is an amazing book. This is incredible. It's just a very different perspective. And I think for anyone who struggles to build good habits or break bad habits, or you just want to be more intentional in how you live your life, it's really worth reading. And one of the quotes that he said that I instantly wrote down, he said, a very small shift in direction can lead to a very meaningful change in destination. And so He can give these great kind of Pinterest-worthy quotes in the book, which is fantastic, but then he backs it up with very practical step-by-step help of how you actually go about changing habits. So I'm listening to the audiobook, but I already knew within a few chapters that I'm going to buy the book because I want to actually read the book and have the physical book in my hands as well. And hopefully, maybe we'll have him on the podcast. So that was Atomic Habits by James Clear. Let's talk about what's saving your life. This is the part of the show where we talk about something that's making your life better, easier, or more enjoyable.
2: I would say that we just moved back into our house and we got a brand new robot vacuum and it is amazing. So every night at eight o'clock, I hear a beep and he just worthless to life. And occasionally I have to save him from a rug. I love how he. he it's a he. It's a he. <laughs> yes. Does he have a name? Well, not technically, but it's a Yuffie. <laughs> so, Mr. Yuffie, I'm not sure. Um, lifesaver, I guess, because we have two small dogs and you never know what they're going to rip into throughout the day while we're off and about. And so, it's just nice to have that backup to go through and clean behind me. So, I'm not the only one. It's nice to have a, a second hand. And I've heard with
1: the robot vacuums that they actually, like they learn your house. And then, is this correct? And and then they kind of have a pattern that they do of like they're doing sections of your house every night
2: or whenever you schedule them to go. Is that correct? Yes. It's been really funny to watch him learn our house. So last week he spent a good, I would say, 10 minutes just going back and forth underneath the table, which yes, it is dirty under my (laughs) table, but not that dirty, but he would bump into a leg and then turn and then bump into the other leg. And like, he just went back and forth. And I was like, should I save him? Does he know what he's doing? (laughs) But he made it through. And then literally do they
1: go back like on their little Mm -hmm. pod that were, that's, that is so crazy. Modern technology, but fantastic. I mean,
2: it is amazing. And you, what is the name of the... It's a Eufy. So that is weird. It's E-U-F-Y. And I don't know if it's the best one on the market. I know it's the one we could afford on the market. So...
1: (laughs) And it works. It works. that's, that's what matters. Okay. We'll link to that in the show notes for sure. And I want to talk about something that I think I know I've mentioned it in the past on the podcast, but I just felt like with the beginning of school for a lot of people and just getting back into routines that it's deserving of another mention. And that is called the Eat at Home Menu Plan Service. And I love this, especially for really busy seasons. Um, The thing about it is that with a lot of menu plan services, you get to choose. And so you can say, oh, we want the gluten-free menu plan, or we want the this type of menu plan, or the 15-minute meals, or the instant pot meals, or something. Well, this one, you get access to four different menu plans. You don't have to choose. You get all of them. And what I love about it is that you can mix and match. So if you say, well, I have a really busy week and we want to cook and use our instant pot, or we want to use the slow cooker, you can do that. Or if you have a week where you feel like, I have a little bit more time to spend in the kitchen. And so then you can go with the traditional menu plan. And then they also have a traditional wholesome, which is more whole foods based. And then they have a no flour, no sugar menu plan as well. And you get the menu plans and a small family and large family menu plan for each each of the menus plus a color-coded grocery list. And a lot of my followers who have signed up for this, they just input everything on the grocery list into like Walmart pickup or something like that. So it makes it just super, super easy. So again, that was the eat at home menu plan service. And we will put a link to that in the show notes. All right. We're going to dive into the topic of shame. And so your book, which I have right here, this children's book, it's called The Awfulizer, Learning to Overcome the Shame Game. And I would love to hear just the backstory behind what inspired you to write this book. This is your first book, correct? Yes, it's my
2: first book. Um, well, it started because I have dealt and suffered with shame my whole life, mm-hmm. and not until I was in my late 30s that I actually have a name for what it mm-hmm. was. And so while I was in therapy, still in therapy, for shame, I noticed that my oldest child was having a lot of shame talk. Mm -hmm. And it's just subtle. Oh, I'm the worst. Can't get something. I'm a terrible kid. And I was like, that's not great. I really don't want him to have to go through. As a parent, you don't want your kid to have Mm -hmm. to go through what you suffered through. And so I booked a meeting with the school counselor to see if there was something that I could use to talk to him about it. Because- I was in therapy, but I'm not an expert. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that there was a tool that I could use because I really, really wanted to stop it early. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to her, she's like, well, there's nothing I can think of offhand that's specifically about shame. There's stuff about self-esteem. There's stuff about kindness. And so she said, let me research it and I'll get back to you. And I said, great, thanks. And she got back to me and said, there's nothing really, wow, so I did some research and I found, I think, one book that specifically dealt about shame that was about a monster was shame. And um, he wasn't a monster. It was a, he had a magic wand and mm-hmm. he kept trying to change himself. And uh, so I decided to try and take what I had been learning in therapy and write a story about it so I could talk to my son about it because stories are just easier for kids to understand. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for adults as well. Yeah. And I really wanted to capture how shame, it starts out really small in our lives, but it can grow. The more you listen to it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you don't figure out a way to stop it, it can totally take over everything. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what the awfulizer does in the story. Mm -hmm. And I came up with the name, the awfulizer, in a group therapy session Mm -hmm. um, with a bunch of women that I go to about shame. And you get assigned characters and roles. Mm -hmm. And someone wanted me to play a character, and they're describing them. And I was like, oh, I'll be the awfulizer. And I was like, oh, wait, that would be perfect in my story. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how it all came together.
1: And so I noticed you said that you didn't have a name for what this was in your life for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So how did it manifest itself to you? What was it looking like to you?
2: For me, it was always a feeling— of low self-worth, always having to prove myself, never being good enough. And everything that I tried was okay, but it it was never quite great. Like, okay, you're good at that, but there's always someone that's going to be better than Mm you. You're not really that lovable. If people knew this, this, and this about you, they would all turn on you. Um, It's just the feeling of no one could ever fully accept me for who I am. Mm. If they knew everything about me, then they would all leave. Mm-hmm. So kind of that feeling and always trying to make myself better so that people wouldn't leave. Mm. So that's how it was for me. And
1: so when you actually had a name for it, like mm-hmm. what was the process like to to realize what it was and how did that feel for you?
2: It was a lot of tissues. <laughs> <laughs> when you first kind of delve into it and just this oh and for me and my therapist she would reference my daughter like a lot. And so, mm-hmm. would you want your daughter to feel this way? Do you think your daughter should have to have these standards? And that's what really brought it home for me was, mm-hmm. oh, I would never think less of her if she had done this. Mm-hmm. I would never judge her for having those emotions. I would never want her to feel these ways. And mm-hmm. once I could have sympathy for her, I was an empathy for her. I felt like I was more able to have empathy for myself. I had a hard time forgiving myself for any mistake I made and realizing, like, if I don't want my kids to have that issue, maybe I should learn to have some empathy and kindness for myself mm. and release myself that from that. As I say in the book, just because I make a mistake doesn't mean I am a mistake. Mm.
1: And so for you to go through that process and recognize that, how long did that take?
2: Oh. I was just thinking about this the other day because the first time I read the draft of an ophalizer was when my son was in kindergarten
1: mm-hmm. and he's in
2: second grade now. So that was two years. But then I had been in therapy for about a year and a half before I even started it. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about, I'm in four years now, maybe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and this is something that you've dealt with since the time you were a young child. Yes. And so for parents who are listening right now, who are saying, I know that my child has expressed some of that. You know, I know Mm -hmm. I have a child who oftentimes will say, you know, nobody likes me. I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Speak to that parent, like how, how, what can they do to help their child when their child is feeling like that?
2: Well, first I would say it's totally normal. Mm -hmm. Everybody feels this way. Everyone has these emotions. And so I don't necessarily think it's something to, worry about or blame yourself for mm-hmm. because we all in some way suffer from shame and that the awfulizer in our head. And then I think just trying to get your kid to talk about it. There's so much power in vocalizing and having someone affirm you. So it's there's this darkness that shame wants you to live in. And you have to stay hidden. You have to stay in the dark because if you were brought into the light, you'll be rejected. So helping your kid come into the light and realize they're still being loved. And that they don't have to stay in this dark spot alone is, I think, huge. So I think the more you can encourage them to talk, if it's, they might have it. I had a long, for a long time, I could only write stuff down. I couldn't vocally say it, so I could write it and then kind of slide it over and be like, here's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Drawing, art, any way for them to kind of express themselves and these feelings that they're having. And then when you see it, you need to, I'm trying to think of the right words, affirm, Like, don't belittle the feelings that they're having because sometimes it can be silly. My kid will have a fit because their underwear are on correctly and they really want to wear their underwear backwards because of the picture. And I think that's silly, but for them, it could be a real real thing. And so just affirming the feelings that they have are real, that Mm -hmm. they are really feeling these feelings. And then it's a trust and making sure that you keep it within between the two of you. You're not talking about it with others in front of them or so that they can overhear it and just creating a space that they feel comfortable to come into the light with.
1: Mm. One of the things I love in your book is that you, it's not just a story, but there are pictures that really help visualize what shame does to us, how Mm -hmm. it affects us, how it takes over our life and kind of clouds everything that we do. And it's this, huge, awful thing that we're carrying around with us everywhere we go. So I know as parents, none of us want our kids to have that. As you look back and as you've studied this and as you've written this book and, you know, been through therapy and all that, are there things that parents can do to help prevent our kids as much as possible from feeling these feelings of shame?
2: I think the biggest thing, and I'm going to steal from my girl, Brene Brown, is the shame resilience. So teaching... Mm -hmm their kids as young as they possibly can um, to recognize shame, Mm -hmm. to talk about shame and to just not let shame hide them. And Mm -hmm. so I think the earlier they can start doing that, the more it becomes ingrained in a habit. And so when that shame voice talks to them, they can go, oh, you're my shame voice. You're not actually my parents saying that Mm -hmm. I'm unlovable. You're not my friends saying I don't like you. You're my shame voice trying to make me feel alone and in the dark. And I don't have to listen to you. Or if I am listening to you and I feel bad, I can talk about it with someone and they're going to affirm that I'm right. This is my shame voice Mm -hmm. and I'm not alone.
1: And so for a parent who has an older child who maybe they know they're carrying that around, but the Mm -hmm. child doesn't really want to talk. Do you have any thoughts or wisdom for that parent?
2: I think it's just consistently showing up. And if you can consistently show up sooner or later, I think a wall will break down. I have a really hard time opening up and talking because my shame voice says, I'm making a big deal out of nothing and you should just be quiet and you'll be fine. And so like the first time you ask me, are you okay? My go-to answer is, yeah, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Even if there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, I'm just going to say I'm fine and keep going on. But if you ask me a couple more times, then I feel like you really care and you really want to know the answer and so that's when I'll open up. So I encourage parents to just be consistent and continue to ask the questions and a follow-up question and just be available.
1: And I'm just curious. So I feel like anytime I write on a topic, I have to kind of live it out in a way that sometimes it I don't want to. You know? <laughs> I'm always like... I'd like to write books on chocolate and beaches instead of topics that are hard. And so for you with writing this book, did you feel like you had to confront that awfulizer in your life in new ways?
2: Yes. I actually just wrote a blog post about how I've uncovered a lot of stuff that I don't think I would have uncovered if I hadn't Mm -hmm. written stories and pursued trying to make them a reality. Behaviors that I didn't realize were actually trying to throttle me, I say, like Mm -hmm. to hold me back, like behaviors I thought were good, like always being volunteering and always cleaning and always having the next thing to do and staying busy, 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 busy is actually a strategy I use to stay valuable, to stay loved, to stay needed, and also stop me from trying to pursue certain things. Mm -hmm. And so doing this book and having to take time to focus on me, to focus on my writing and not be serving others all the time. Was something I never even considered to be. It's not a negative trait, but it was something that I was using to hold myself back. And I never would have realized that if I hadn't started this journey. And it's also made me more aware of my shame voice and the awfulizer. And partly because now my kids call me out and they're like, you can't <laughs> say that, mom, that's your awfulizer talking. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize I was mm-hmm. saying something that was like self depreciating. Mm-hmm. And so just As it comes closer and closer, I'm just constantly thinking about shame, and which has made me more aware of my habits towards it, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense.
1: Yes. And for your children to recognize it and to be able to call you out on it. Yes. That's a big deal. Like, we need that in our life, even though sometimes we'd rather they did it. (laughs) You know, but I think for them to understand it Mm -hmm. at a young age, like what a gift you are giving them for the rest of their life. And I just, I want all parents to be able to have this this tool, this book that can help you open up the door to have that conversation with kids in order to prevent that, you know, like you, when you said you were in your thirties and all of a sudden realizing all these years that that's what it's been, you had no idea. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk Mm -hmm. more about one of the things that I feel like there's a lot of shame around is body image. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, especially for girls, I mean, I think it's, you know, across the board boys as well, but I think my daughters are 14 and 12. And it's something that I've really struggled with. How do we approach this in a way? Like I want them to have a really healthy body image. And so I'd love for you to speak to moms who are raising girls, you know, about how do they help them not carry on the burden? Like they're not enough. They need to live up to this impossible body image, beauty standard.
2: I've been thinking a lot about this as well, because I have a five-year-old daughter who's already starting to talk about these things. And it's crazy that it's starting at five, mm. but I read somewhere that it starts, it starts with us. It starts with the moms, which is really mm. hard. So if we're constantly on a diet or we're talking about how things don't fit us right, how we don't look good, then they learn that talk and that way of thinking from us, which has been really hard for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) to work on. And I've been struggling with that a little bit, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. Um, just watching my language towards myself and trying not to focus so much on how I look. Because we inherently learn behaviors from our parents, whether Mm -hmm. or not they meant to pass them on or not, that's where we learn them from a lot of times. And so the first step is just trying to be kinder to yourself and love yourself and what you look like and not be trying to fit those ideals. Mm -hmm. And then I think just having a conversation, again, it always comes back for me to talking and trying to talk with your kids about what they think they're supposed to look like. Why do they think they're supposed to look like? If they're older, you can talk about filters and Photoshop and all these things that are actually making those pictures that they're trying to achieve unachievable because mm. even the people in the pictures don't look like the picture. There's a, and I'll have to look up the website and give it to you, but where it compares what the actual picture is versus what the Photoshop image mm. is, and it's really powerful to see the editors are taking off inches with just a brush stroke on the mm. computer, and so there's such a discrepancy. I think in when you're younger, kids don't realize that you, you take a picture and that's what you look like. But that's not really what you look like mm-hmm. in a lot of the advertising and things that we see today.
1: And I, I've just really become aware of how often I talk negatively towards myself. Yes, you know, and I think it's so common as women. You know, we mm-hmm. feel like we need to apologize. Yes, you know, for our hair or our outfit or we didn't lose enough weight or you know we feel like we need to kind of you know i'm on a diet like we we need to lead with that because mm-hmm. we it's our own shame yes and yet that is going to be the example that our kids are going to have set before them and if we're constantly talking about you know i just think so much you know i'm hearing women talk about their thighs and, you know, that they don't have a thigh gap and, you know, that they look bad in a swimsuit and like these things that we just say without even thinking. And Mm -hmm. I know I've said it so often, you know, and like, I'll be like, Oh, I just, I just feel gross today. Or, you know, something like that. Or, Oh yeah, I gained a few pounds. Like, and we just, we're just saying it. And it's like, a lot of times I'm just saying it to my husband and I'm not really thinking about my kids are listening. I want to make sure that the example that I'm setting before them is this positive one of the way that I talk about myself. Um, But it's hard.
2: It's hard because we just constantly feel like we need to put ourselves down and apologize. Yes. And it's so ingrained and it's a habit. And maybe your Atomic Havoc book has good tips about changing your thought process so that it's not, oh, well, thank you for saying I look good, but... Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's always that
1: but. Like when someone, anytime someone will say, oh, I love your dress, we feel like we need to – give some sort of, oh, this one, like, I don't like, oh, I just, just pulled this out of the closet today. I don't really like it. Or your hair looks so cute. Oh, well, it's just dry shampoo. You know, like we yeah. always have to come back with something that's actually not receiving yes what, you know, their affirmation. And I've really been working on this because I recognized this a few years ago, that that's something that I was constantly doing. And I realized that, you know, if someone gives you a gift of affirming you and Mm -hmm. then you don't receive it, like that's hurtful to them, Yeah, but it's also very derogatory towards yourself. And so paying attention to the words that I'm saying and my responses, and why do I need to apologize? Why can't I just say, thank you?
2: We actually, I started a game at my house that, cause I also am the same way. Mm -hmm. I can't take a compliment. It's called, we just call it the table game. And when we're all at dinner and sometimes we have guests, we start with, one person so we would start with you and the person to your right would say what they one thing they like about you and it goes around the table and you have to hear everything they say about you but it closes with you saying one nice thing that you like about yourself mm. and then you go through every single person because i wanted my kids to learn how to hear compliments and take them mm. to recognize the goodness in themselves but also especially with siblings to be able to say something nice about someone even if they're kind of frustrated with them cuz they <laughs> broke their lego do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so trying to train them, part of the reason is because I can't take a compliment and I can't sit and hear people say nice things about me without, oh, well, but mm-hmm. if you knew this. Mm-hmm. And so, again, but it's also trained me because when I started it, the kids were really little. And sometimes something would happen and I wouldn't get my turn. And so I'd always be like, oh, well, that's okay. I didn't really need my turn anyway anyway. But it did kind of hurt, too, because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no one has seen, no one has anything nice to say about me. But it's just things happen. And if I can't say, hey, I want you to say something nice about me, mm-hmm. then—so it's taught me mm-hmm. as well to say, hey, you can say a compliment about me. It's my turn. We're not leaving this table till you sue mom. <laughs> so let's talk about
1: shame when it comes to women and adults. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about kids, and I feel like, you know, we— talked about how the words we speak about ourselves affect our kids, but let's just, let's talk about, you know, I know there are so many women who are listening who they don't feel good enough, right? They don't feel whatever it is enough. They, they don't measure up. They, they are, they feel like they're a failure. They feel like, you know, they just maybe no one likes them. They don't have the giftings and the talents that other people do speak to that woman
2: I would say you are enough. And there is no measure, really. I mean, who is doing this measuring? Mm -hmm. You don't have to measure up to anybody else but yourself. And I would say that you are not alone in feeling like you're not enough. That mom in the carpool lane who is dressed to the nines and all her kids appear to behave has issues as well as you. She is looking at another mom in that carpool wishing She was them just as much as you're wishing you Mm. were her. And I would say, what would I say? Let me think about that. That's a hard one because I'm trying to talk to myself. And what would I say to myself that would help and encourage me? I would say that you don't have to do, you don't have to prove, you don't have to be something to be lovable. You are lovable as you are. And I think that's the most important thing that you need to hear. You don't have to be volunteering. You don't have to have the cleanest house. You don't have to be the prettiest or have the most well-behaved kids or have the best job to be lovable and valuable as a human. You're lovable and valuable as a human because you breathe, because you are and you are here. Mm. And that, I think, is the most important thing to know.
1: So good. We have had a couple of episodes where we talked about, I kind of unpacked the lies that I believed because mm-hmm. I realized that for so long—and I think shame and these lies, we believe, are so interconnected. You know, we right. believe these lies about ourselves, and then it leads to the shame. Right. And then the shame fuels more lies. Yeah. it's just this vicious cycle. And really, when I was able to understand the truth of, you know, as a Christian, I am loved by God. Like, mm-hmm. And how He sees me, He, when He looks at me, He sees Jesus. Right. And that— I don't have to do more, be better, try harder, have a cleaner house, you know, lose weight, get a different haircut, whatever it is. I don't have to do any of those things to be loved by him. And the power that there is in really sweeping away those lies and just kicking them away and saying, you know, I'm going to camp in the truth. And what is the truth? You know, what does God say about me? And I think that is truly what this whole you know overcoming the shame game is and, and mm-hmm. ultimately that's what i want my kids to know i wrote a post for them as they were going back to school and just saying that one of the things that i want them to know more than anything else in the world is that they're loved by god right. because i feel like when they understand how much they're loved by god it changes their entire perspective of everything in their life and that they that he can take that awfulizer and he can literally destroy that and right. like and then they can camp in the truth of you know how he has created them how he has made them and it's just a really for me it has completely changed the way that I approach everything my relationships my marriage my mothering you know my writing my just everything because I'm not trying to be someone I don't have to be that I can just know I'm loved and I can live out of that love. And there's just so much freedom there.
2: Yes, there really is.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just really excited for parents to have this resource. I mean, the, it's amazing that there just isn't much out there on this topic that is so, so, so important and so many kids are struggling with. And not only, you know, struggling when they're a child, but then it's ca- they're carrying it with them into their adulthood. And it's just this heavy burden that is really really causing them to not be able to thrive in life and so again your book is the awfulizer learning to overcome the shame game we'll link to it in the show notes and it just came out so i'm very excited for parents to be able to get a hold of this and sit down and read it with your kids and really help them to understand this concept so then not only they can understand it for their own life but like you said then they can start pointing it out in your life as well (laughs) so you can both help each other As always, if you have any question on any topic you'd love for Jesse and I to answer on a future episode, or you just have feedback or suggestions, or you'd love for us to change something or do something different, we love to hear from you. We love your emails. And so you can send an email to crystal at com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of The Crystal Pain Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit
2: crystalpain.com.